what I am going to talk about this morning, you can see there on, on the screens. And I've called this message, Jesus Had Good News Conversations. Uh, and you might pick up that, that uh, phrase, good news, is, is kind of a Christian-y phrase, right? And it's adaptation of a Greek word, um, which we sort of translate into evangelism or evangel, which which really just means good news. Jesus came bearing good news. Jesus came as good news that God is doing something really good for humanity and all creation uh, and people should want to know about it. And um, I don't necessarily see myself as a kind of obviously a traveling evangelist because I I haven't traveled anywhere in three years at least. Uh, But I feel like God has helped me to be able to have kind of deep conversations with people uh, that that point them to something bigger. Um, and that has sometimes put me in weird positions. Uh, it's had me uh, sort of consoling uh, a book salesman at the QUT bookstore who was crying because of a conversation that we had in the aisles there. Um, it's had me doing the same thing to uh, quite a, a, a high-up drug dealer once, quite a tough guy. I found myself in this weird situation of him, of him breaking down because God, I felt, had led me in a conversation with this guy. It also, much to Sherilyn's frustration, means that every Uber driver that we have together, uh, we end up you know, going full backstory and, uh, and swapping details and... Um, and, and talking about deep things, and, and it kind of irks Sherilyn because she's like, you, got, you have deeper conversations with Uber drivers than you have with me, your <laughs> wife. Um, but I think um, for some of us, conversations that go deep kind of come naturally. For others of us, we need to work at it. And uh, as Christians, the message that I am going to sort of give this morning has this idea at the centre of it that that conversations are really important. These good news conversations are really important to who we are and what we're about. So strap in because it's going to be good news. <laughs> I just came up with that line then. You would never guess it. Uh, but we're going to start by having a, a bit of a look at, I think, a remarkable piece of this happening in public recently. Uh, I think this happened about six months ago and um, we showed this footage in a staff meeting because um, I think there's something pretty special, you'll agree, when you see this clip. So to set up this clip that Ruben's going to play for us in a minute, uh, it comes from uh, a late night talk show uh, hosted by a well-known talk show host and political satirist in the States called Stephen Colbert. Um, And Stephen Colbert has one of the highest rating uh, late night talk shows in the United States. Uh, He's someone who's always been quite public about his faith uh, and and probably manages it in in a rare way for someone in the entertainment industry in the United States. He's interviewing, as a part of this talk show that he's doing, he's interviewing a British pop star who you can see on the screen there named Dua Lipa. And Dua Lipa, as far as I know, doesn't really have a faith. She's Albanian, so she's probably got a Muslim background. 
Uh, he's just been chatting to her about the tour that she's on uh, and they get into this conversation through uh, her saying she's going to start a podcast. So we'll play from there. Thanks, Ruben and Chris. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. I, I might go back to the, the PowerPoint if that's all right. Thanks, Ruben. I think when I saw that, I wonder if you had the same uh, experience of this verse coming to mind for you, that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us um, for the hope that we have, to give a reason for the hope that we have. Now, Stephen Colbert uh, talks in front of people for a living <laughs> and obviously is deeply formed in his faith. And uh, we might find the way that he was able to answer that. I mean, sure, we might answer it theologically slightly differently, uh, one person to another in here, but we might find the way that he was just able to go there, even with the quote, a little bit intimidating. Uh, and, and that's okay. I don't think we all need to be at that level. Uh, one of the things that I think is implied by this verse and one of the things that I think comes through in that little section of an interview that we looked at is this verse actually presupposes that there's other stuff going on already. Why would someone ask you <laughs> for the hope that you had unless they knew somehow that you had hope? <laughs> so they're seeing something in your life which means that they, it occurs to them, this person has something that I want. Now, Stephen Colbert has lived, as I said, I think in a rare way, his faith very publicly and in an integrated way. That's something I'm going to talk about in the future. But that sort of positions him so that when that question gets asked, he has a good response. And I think what we see there, and when we see examples like that, in fact, I heard Pastor Clem do something similar in a much more private way recently where someone who didn't share his faith just asked him about it and he picked up th this good news conversation in such a natural way. Um, the roots of that are actually in some other stuff and the roots of that are partly in our capacity just to have good conversations <laughs> with people. Good news conversations are good conversations. Jesus had good conversations with people. Uh, I love the story and it comes up regularly in my life of Jesus meeting that Samaritan woman at the well, right? And there's so much going on in that story. There's so much politics. She's a woman, he's a man. She's Samaritan, he's a Jew, they have different ways of worshipping God, different ways of seeing the world. And he has this capacity in that story, I'm sure you know it, to go deep with her, doesn't he? I mean, again, maybe a little intimidatingly. Uh, but, you know, I think when the gospel writers put these stories down, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit more small talk in between. They just have to kind of <laughs> cut to the chase. Anyway, he gets to this point of speaking to this woman about some very private and sensitive stuff, doesn't he? About, about her, her failed love or sex life, about her reputation in the community. And he ties that in <laughs> to a hope <laughs> that she might have in the fact that one day 
God is going to reveal himself and people are going to worship God in such a way as that so many of the barriers which seem to keep her from the presence of God, which seem to keep her from the centre of where God might be outpouring his goodness in society, crumble. (laughs) Jesus says there's good news in store for you. I think the fact that Jesus cuts straight to the heart of who she is and he can have a good conversation is illustrated in these words that she says when she goes back to the village. And interestingly, she doesn't, I mean, she says, is this the Messiah? But the thing that comes through in this quote that's on the screen here is she says, he, not, he knew me. <laughs> he was interested in me and he knew me. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be? the Messiah. Jesus had good news conversations. He had good conversations, but he had good news conversations from, I think, from the temple as an adolescent all the way through, you know, if you think about Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, Martha, the thief on the cross. Jesus takes opportunities to speak to people and to tell them (laughs) about the hope that is in him, a hope that they can grasp. And so I want to take just a little bit of time to talk about that this morning. Chris set a precedent last week. This series is also going to involve some emojis. So there's the uh, cantankerous cat and there is um, an oil jar. I was reading a book this week that told the story of a lady, it was quite some time ago when there was this idea, I don't know if people still hold this idea, but you don't hear it much, this idea that castor oil was like a good thing to put into your body. Um, and, and this woman had, had read that not only was castor oil a good thing to put into her body, that it was actually going to be a good thing for her cat. Um, so she established this routine with her cat of grabbing her cat and like forcing castor oil down her cat's throat every day for years. And you can imagine the cat, like when cats are made to do something that they don't want to do, it doesn't go well. There were scratches, there was trauma. But day after day, she'd grab the cat, she'd shove castor oil down its throat. Anyway, years into their life together with this habit of trauma, um, she knocked the castor oil off the bench and the jar smashed on the floor. And to her amazement and and perhaps horror, the cat raced up to the castor oil and began to lap it up off the floor. She realised in that moment that the cat didn't actually dislike castor oil, in fact, quite liked the castor oil. The cat just didn't like being grabbed and having oil poured down its throat every day. And I think, you know, sometimes the good news can be a little bit like this. If we really believe that the good news is good, if it's been good for us, <laughs> should be good for everyone, we'd imagine. If we experience some sort of scratching and biting <laughs> in the sharing of that good news, I wonder how often that's about the way that we're doing it and not what it itself is. You follow me? Does that point make sense to you? 
So I want to talk just briefly about three ways from my experience, my study of scripture and engaging with some literature around this that I think it goes wrong for us. Three ways that we're wrestling the cat when the cat might actually want to drink the castor oil. Actually, all of a sudden, I feel really uncomfortable about using that as an analogy for having good news conversations. I'll edit that out later. <laughs> the first is, sometimes we're at risk of making good news conversations about us and not the person that we're trying to have them with. Sometimes our problem is we're unclear about where the conversation leads, what comes next. And thirdly, um, it can be a challenge to us, and I'll explain this, if our faith and our life are not sufficiently integrated. We can have sort of firewalls up between Christian Josh and Josh who's at work. Uh, we can have gaps in the extent to which we feel like we really occupy our faith. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So the first way I think that these good news conversations can go wrong is when we make them about us. And I would imagine that many of you have had a similar experience of being a Christian to me in that we're kind of a part of what's broadly called evangelical culture. And for some really great reasons evangelical culture has kind of been built, it's probably a 200-year-old phenomenon, really, culturally, on this idea that the good news is good enough to share, right? So uh, traditionally, let's say Europe, if you were uh, German, you were a Lutheran, if you were Swiss, you were a Calvinist, if you were Scottish, you were a Presbyterian, and it was almost sort of just assumed that if you grew up in those countries, you adopted that faith. Now, evangelicals came along in the 18th century and said, actually, there's some stuff that's not going so well <laughs> about that. Some people are maybe not actually transformed by Jesus. Some people might call themselves a Presbyterian. Actually, uh, I heard uh, an Irishman joke that in Ireland, there's, I've probably told this uh, story before, but in Ireland, they've got Protestant atheists and Catholic atheists <laughs> because Irish identity is so sort of dictated by the traditional religious framework. Evangelicals said, you know, that's a problem. That's not really the good news that Jesus had, that you can just call yourself a Presbyterian and everything will be right in your life. No, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. It has to be a faith that you own. Now, <laughs> while all that's good, sometimes that value has manifested in thinking about having good news conversations or about sharing our faith in Jesus in a way that sort of makes it a box to be ticked, right? I don't know if you've ever been, and please hear me, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm sort of saying this is the, the flip side of the coin. I'm not saying these are bad things. But maybe you've been at a church where they've had like a specific drive for a month to one Sunday where you've worked up the guts to invite your neighbour to church, for instance. Um, or maybe you've heard a sermon that has really just laid on you some guilt <laughs> about what's happening to your non-Christian neighbour or your non-Christian friend. 
and has any has anyone had that at all so it is it's a it's the flip side of the coin of evangelicalism that we believe it's really good news that we can kind of almost be pressured into you need to do this thing <laughs> it's a task to be done um, and there's books right there's books about you know how to have tricky conversations with non-christian people how to in five easy steps lead your colleague to Jesus and again not necessarily bad things but in my experience they have often led people and I'm going to name it myself included to kind of be operating out of a sense of guilt or obligation that I need to do this thing the problem is this thing that I need to do is not a thing <laughs> this thing is a person <laughs> this thing is a human being created in the image of God not a notch to be carved on you know my belt because i shared the gospel one more time not a box to be ticked <laughs> you get the difference don't you because you have been on the end of a conversation <laughs> where you were a box to be ticked so dehumanizing isn't it whatever it's about it's so dehumanizing jesus saw people didn't he his ministry was all about the fact that he saw people <laughs> he saw the samaritan woman he saw the man the thief on the cross in their time of need he connected with them as a human being in fact he valued them beyond anything else and the best of christianity has lived out of this kind of revelation out of this approach um this is a guy that um, I was reading about during the week and for some reason my notes aren't coming up. But he was the first, I think his name was M Matty Ritchie, uh, the first uh, Italian, the first Christian missionary actually to China in the 14th century a Jesuit, and, and the Chinese uh, government, such as it was at the time, wasn't keen on letting foreigners in and definitely wasn't keen on letting Christians in. And so this man dedicated himself to learning the Chinese language, to understanding the culture, and then he approached China and said, I want to come and learn about Chinese culture. Because he realised, actually, <laughs> he couldn't really know the people to whom he was talking, unless he understood where they were coming from. I think if you have a good news story, if you have good news conversations, <laughs> to have good conversations, you've got to enter into who the person is that you're talking to. You've got to value them and understand them to some degree. And I see this written so large in the incarnation of Jesus. So this is from the message translation famous words from the first chapter of john jesus the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood <laughs> so much did he desire to meet with us to have a conversation with us on terms that we could engage with that he actually became as us pretty exceptional Some of you are going to feel like this is um, something that comes very naturally to you. But for some of us, conversation is a little bit more difficult. 
I just want to give you a real practical overview of some things that I employ when I'm talking to people. I've found it useful, and I got this from a book. Again, uh, I can't see my notes right now, so I'll send them out with the life group notes during the week. I can't remember the author's name. Um, but she s suggests that having good conversations is sort of like a game of table tennis. So you want to serve something up <laughs> that the other person has a pretty good chance of hitting back to you. Um, you don't want to kind of pull out your Chinese Olympian uh, double spinner straight away until you kind of know where they're at. You want to just pop it over so that you can get something started. And she suggests either begin with a we statement, an it statement, or a they statement. So research suggests that if you can put yourself in the same position as someone, even conceptually, it's easier to actually enter into a conversation with them. So the we thing is, um, and I, I've done this from time to time, let's say you're at a conference for work and you're sitting next to someone that you don't know or you're at the bus stop sitting next to somebody, not a box to be ticked, a human being to be engaged with, to be known. Um, if you can share or point out the fact that you share something from the get-go, so if you've heard something about the speaker at the conference, you could say, I've heard great things about Dr. Misa. We're in for a real treat. Or you could say, um, aren't we experiencing lovely winter weather <laughs> today? <laughs> You're just lobbing something up to start a conversation that someone can paddle back to you. Another thing that will come easier to some of us than others is to have a, a significant it to talk about. Now, I'm someone who gets up in the morning and likes to read the news. And that is a practice that has held me in good stead because when I meet someone during the day, I try and read news that, you know, isn't even necessarily that interesting to me, but is just significant uh, in terms of what's happening in the world. And, you know, you can imagine that if you meet, if it's a pensioner on the bus, uh, sort of stop seat next to you or someone in their 20s, if you've read enough of the news, there's something that you might be able to chat to them about. Oh, I heard that, you know, the price of this is going up. And uh, if you're on the pension, how's that affecting you? I heard that Splendour in the Grass turned into a mud fest. <laughs> Have you seen any of the pictures? And it to talk about is a useful, I mean, this is very nuts and bolts, but to be intentional about this and not just kind of find yourself on the bus stop and go, oh, I, I'd love to talk to this person and get to know them. What should I talk about? And then finally, um, the they thing. If, if there is someone in common there, so if you can kind of go, if you can kind of point to someone that connects the two of you, then that comes in handy as well. That's a good way of serving up something that someone can hit back. If none of that... <laughs> can kind of come to the surface for you. I found this to be a really great question to begin talking to people uh, with. Rather than saying, what do you do or what's your job? Because that can get you into trouble. <laughs> um, you might actually uh, put someone in a position where they have to talk about something that they're not crazy about. Um, to say, how do you spend most of your time gives people an opportunity either to talk about their job or what they're really passionate about. So 
just a couple little techniques that I've used that I've found helpful to go, hang on a second, this isn't about me. Because lots of the books that you read, unfortunately, will go, get a person into a conversation about abortion <laughs> and then prove to them with these six steps why your perspective's right, why the Christian perspective's right. Or here's a way that you can kind of almost trick someone into admitting that they need Jesus is, a, is another one. Just not engaging a human being that God loves has, you know, a story, <laughs> has something to teach you. Uh, really not Christian, not helpful. The second point uh, that can sort of trip us up with this stuff is that we can be unclear about what comes after the conversation. I can see for the sake of time, I'm going to zip through a little bit. Oh, that emoji didn't translate. That's a church or two people kind of in relationship. There we go, that's a bit closer. Newsflash, Jesus didn't have a church to invite people to. <laughs> I mean, the church is amazing. The church is great. The church provides a great context for what Jesus was really about and that was about making disciples, right? So... Keep coming to church, by all means. It's a, it's a good thing for us to do. But sometimes I think Christians have felt the pressure. If I can just get my friend to the professional Christian, Pastor Graham will know exactly what to say. He's going to knock them off their feet and they'll become a Christian like that. Actually, it's a little less convenient than that. You're to be the discipler. I'm going to skip this for time, but I'll put it in the notes. Um, I was trying to look for a picture of a white Ford Econovan because Pastor Graham used to have one. And when I looked Econovan up, Ford Econovan on Wikipedia, it said, see Mazda Bongo. Um, <laughs> and I decided to put a picture of the Mazda Bongo instead. In instead, I didn't know that the Mazda Bongo was a thing, um, but I wish I had because <laughs> I got a lot of stories about being in Pastor Graham's Bongo. Um, but Pastor Graham used to do this thing uh, when I was in youth, and maybe some of you remember it. He almost had a rule that if he was going somewhere, he'd take one of us. Um, whether it was, you know, picking up something from the other side of town or going to a meeting, he just had a, I'm going to have time in the car that I could be spending with someone. And I don't think he was thinking about it necessarily in these terms, but the effect of going somewhere with Graham was that you got to see how Graham did things <laughs> and he was making disciples. It's as simple as that, really. <laughs> who can I plus one? You know, who can I take with me? You might not have a beautiful Mazda Bongo. Uh, <laughs> he didn't really either. Uh, but that principle of making disciples. It's not about getting them through the church doors. That could be good. Sometimes it's not that good. It's about someone seeing you authentically live out your faith and your convictions. Finally, and I'll get the band up um, just to start noodling away. Thanks, Charlie. The third thing which undoes us in this regard, and I think the others sort of the other two points, that we're dealing with people, we're not ticking boxes. <laughs> Getting to know people and love people. The second point 
that it's about discipleship. It's not just about getting people through church doors or getting them to take a course. The third thing is that we can live disintegrated lives. And, and not because we're bad people, not even necessarily because we're bad Christians, but the fact is maybe we have had some experiences where we've tried to have a good news conversation with someone and it just really hasn't gone well. Or we've realised that we've got to keep some of that stuff on the down low at the office with certain members of our family, certain friends and so forth. And so we understandably, often unfortunately, sort of we do firewall our lives a little bit. We can kind of have Josh who's um, at the footy club (laughs) and has had some bad experiences and so has learned not to talk about Jesus. And then Josh in the professional Christian environment where I can do it to my heart's content. Part of the challenge there, I think, is learning to occupy our faith and be intentional about our faith across the course of our lives. Actually, sometimes the Christian thing to do at the footy club is not bang on too much about Jesus. But to love people <laughs> and to serve people and, and be prepared that maybe one day in the course of what you're doing, bit like Stephen Colbert, it just comes up. Someone asks you, <laughs> gives you permission, and you tell them about who you are, about how things work for you, about who Jesus is for you. One of the things I know that was a, a struggle for me for many years in getting to a point where I could have good news conversations with people is the extent to which actually I felt like I didn't occupy the good news story deeply enough myself. You know, the extent to which maybe maybe I was a little bit of a Sunday Christian. <coughs> the extent to which you know, I wasn't living a life that I felt was that appealing to someone else. The extent to which I had these deep convictions about justice, about love, about service (laughs) that I wasn't embodying to the degree that I could. I like this on that note. Making disciples of Jesus is the overflow of the delight that we have in being disciples of Jesus. You know, if there is a sense in which you feel like your faith is disintegrated, a sense in which you're like, well, sure, I could take someone with me in my bongo, but would they actually see a Christian when they were with me? The beauty of the good news is that it's actually not about being there already. (laughs) Jesus simply invites us to begin the journey with him. It's grace, right? It's grace. (laughs) He says, if you want to follow me, just start following me. We'll sort it out. And sometimes we can kind of go, if I can't give that perfect Stephen Colbert answer, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) If I can't kind of live as perfect a Christian life as Pastor Graham was when he was driving the bongo, I'm just not going to invite anyone to come ride with me. 
if you want to follow Jesus, <laughs> he loves you. He wants to journey with you. Just take a step. <laughs> it's just about a single step. Could we stand? Because we could all take a step <laughs> this morning, uh, whether we feel like we're behind in beginning to follow Jesus or whether we're seasoned campaigners. If we recognize the message of Jesus as good news, we can all take a step forward. Jesus, I thank you that you see us. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that we weren't just a box to be ticked for you, but we were someone that you loved so deeply that you're willing to, to come and show us. We were someone that you loved so deeply that you're willing even to, to suffer for us and die for us. And Jesus, I thank you that the life that you invite us into is about so much more than just coming to church for an hour and a half on a Sunday, great as that can be. But Jesus, you invite us into a whole lifestyle <laughs> rooted in the grace that you've shown us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be moving in each of our hearts and minds right now and for each of us that would say, Jesus, I do want to follow you. Light up in front of each of us, I pray, Lord, just the next step. You know, for some of you, you're, you're, you're thinking, actually, I need to put my money where my mouth is with my faith. I, I'm not serving. I'm not, kinda, I'm not engaged in the world in a way that's doing anything good. Maybe this week, take a step towards whatever it is that you feel like God's been speaking to you about, whether it's people in need, a ministry where you feel you might be able to serve. Holy Spirit, light that path for us, pray. Holy Spirit, help us to take down the firewalls in our lives that disintegrate us. Lead us on paths that have us walking our faith out so wholeheartedly that it's just natural that when people ask us about what's going on in our lives, good news conversations happen. Lord, I pray for an abundance of good news conversations. I thank you for the good work that you're doing in our lives. Amen.